0: Hello, this is Pastor Timothy Yap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm currently looking for a church to pastor. And if you do know of a vacancy, please let me know by sending me an email, Pastor Timothy Yap at hotmail.com. This is Pastor Timothy Yap at hotmail.com. Let us pray. Father, your words are truth. And Father, as we come right now to pause for a few moments, to listen to what you have to say to us through our study of the book of Daniel, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will take control of these next few moments because without the work of the Holy Spirit to touch hearts, to change hearts, to mold hearts, these are just information that we are conveying. So Father, I invite the Holy Spirit to come, as we quietly lay our hearts before you, as your word is being opened, as our minds and ears and hearts are once again exposed to your living words of life. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will take your words moved in our hearts, change us, transform us, rejuvenate us, that we may be more and more like Jesus to do your work of transformation and give us your gift of faith that we may believe. In Jesus' name, Amen. When I was a student in the U.S., I was looking for a home church. I visited a church not too far from where I was living. The church was huge, there must be over about a thousand people in attendance in the church. And as I was leaving the church, I met the senior pastor at the door. His name was Pastor Eric Brond. I didn't expect him to talk to me in much detail other than the obligatory welcome to church. But Pastor Eric actually paused and he welcomed me and started a conversation with me, which I thought was extremely rare in a large church like that. And then he started inquiring about me and when he realized that I was a student trying to study to be a pastor, Pastor Eric Braun was extremely excited. He told me that he meets with a small group of young men from the church every other week for lunch. And that he invited me by asking me a very simple question. Three words, want to have lunch? Want to have lunch? Those three little words led to at least two years of lunching with Pastor Eric of these group of young men. And let me tell you, they were some of my most treasured times. It was over the lunch table I learned so much about preaching. I used to complain to Pastor Eric. I've never heard a sermon on Hosea. Most pastors only preach one or two uh, sermons and it's just an overarching sermon on the book of Hosea. Nobody actually gets down into the text and explains it, breaks it down and opens up the word. Pastor Eric looked at me, and then he says, hey, dude, stop complaining. Next Sunday, you are preaching Hosea. And he wasn't kidding, because next Sunday I was up there preaching on some obscure passage from Hosea on Sunday. It was also also lunch. I learned so much about what it means to be a pastor. I've never said this in front of Eric before but I mean it from all my heart, from the bottom of my heart. Eric up to this day, Pastor Eric up to this day, is one of the models, model pastors that I look up to. Because in many ways, I want to be like him. I want to be like him in the sense, I want to always have time for my parishioners to sit with them over lunch. That's not just about the numbers in the church. It's not about just, programs and building bigger churches but I want to have lunched with the nobodies in the church to build them up to encourage them in the faith. It was over these two years when we had met for lunch every other week our lives were changed. There were five of us who met for, with, uh, with Pastor Eric for lunch. Today four of us are full-time pastors and one is a missionary ministering in Korea. It all started with Pastor Eric looking at me that Sunday afternoon when he asked three very simple words to me. Wanna have lunch. Wanna have lunch. Friendships are often made over the lunch table. Many of our friends are made because They wanted to have lunch with us. It all starts with the three transformative words. Wanna have lunch. Husbands and wives are also made with those three transformative words. Wanna have lunch. Where do people go when they go out for dates? A vast majority of times, most people go to a place to eat for a date. Multiply that lunch with that special someone a hundred times, two hundred times, and the person you are lunching with, that special person, will end up being your husband or your wife. It all starts with these three transformative words. Wanna. Have. Lunch. Tim Chester says that the Gospel can also be summarised over four meals. In meal number one, Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were not supposed to eat and brought death and sin into the world. Meal number two is the Passover, where God showed that redemption and forgiveness is possible through Him, administered through the sacrificial lamb. Meal number three is when Jesus at supper with his disciples, when he showed the disciples that he came to establish the new covenant where he is the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And meal number four is the wedding supper of the lamb where sin will finally be eradicated from us and from this world and we will enjoy the Savior's presence forever. It all starts with, Want to have lunch? The book of Daniel begins with the king of uh, Babylon saying to Daniel and his friends, Want to have lunch? Daniel and his friends were being brought uh, to Babylon, and they were supposed to join the king for a meal. Just as as Satan enticed Eve and Adam to eat the forbidden fruit, we know that it was more than just a meal. Just like the meal that Adam and Eve had, incurred by Satan, destroyed the whole destiny of humanity. Daniel and his friends knew that when the king of Babylon offered this meal to them, this lunch to them, it was more than just food. The king of Babylon actually wants to change the destiny of Daniel and his friends. And he made that very clear at verse 6. In Daniel chapter 1. So if you have Bibles with you, let's turn to Daniel chapter 1. We're studying through the book of Daniel and we're at our second sermon in this series. And let's look at Daniel chapter 1. Let's look at verse 6. It was more than just a simple meal that the king wanted to have with Daniel and his friends. This was a meal that was supposed to change destinies of Daniel and his friends. How do I know that? Verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Mishrach, and to Azariah, Abednego. The king wanted not only just to have a simple lunch with them, he wanted to change Daniel's name. From Daniel to Belteshazzar. What does Belteshazzar mean? It means Bel, which is a chief god in the Babylonian pantheon. Bel protects. He wants to change Hananiah to Shadrach, which means Aku, the moon god, commands. Mishael to Mishrek, which means who is Aku, the moon god. Azariah to Abednego, which means the slave of the god Nabu. It was more than just a lunch. Because in this lunch, the king wants to change the destiny of Daniel and his friends. It's no longer God of Israel. that is the destiny that controls their lives. But will be the, now the gods of Babylon. Baal will now be Daniel's protection, not Yahweh, the God of Israel. So when Daniel knew that this, there was more to this lunch than just food, And when the king offered the invitation to Daniel, want to have lunch, what was Daniel's reaction? Did Daniel say yes? Let's find out. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel's decision to Nebuchadnezzar's want to have lunch was what? Daniel decided to turn down the offer. Why? Two reasons. Number one, Daniel turned down the offer because Daniel knew that God was preparing something greater for him. In the world's eyes, Daniel must either be stupid or naive to turn down the king's offer for lunch. Stupid in the sense that He was turning down the first-class meal. Verse 8 tells us that Daniel was turning down royal food. The Hebrew word here is actually choice food. In favour of what? Of vegetables and water. Daniel must be stupid. Or Daniel must be naive. To think that if he could turn down this lunch offer, he would be able to escape. But Daniel knew that if he were to escape, This lunch offer and turn it down, he could easily face the fury of the king. But Daniel wasn't stupid or naive because by turning down the king's offer, Daniel was looking forward to what God had in store for him. He would rather eat with God than with the king of Babylon because what God had prepared for Daniel was so much. Better. So, what does God have in store for Daniel? Look with me at verse nine. Now, Daniel, now God has caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. The king of Babylon may offer the choice food, may offer you a first-class ticket to the best restaurant in, in 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 Australia, but God has something better to offer. What does God have to offer, Daniel? Favor. And compassion. What for favor used here at Verse nine is the Hebrew word haset. It is God's. It's not just favor. It actually means God's covenantal loving kindness, the kindness that God has shown over the history of Israel. This loving kindness that He has shown to Abraham, to Moses, to the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert. It's loving kindness that never changes, bound by his covenant and his mercy. The same mercy that God had when he saw the suffering of the people in Israel when they were under the reign of the Egyptians. When God had compassion on his people. For Daniel, he would rather feast on God's Hassan. God's loving kindness and mercy rather than the choice foods of the Babylon. How does this passage apply to us? Feast on God and his word. Bite into his promise. Chew on them, Dean, night, savor them. Think about them. Live them. Throw your life upon them. Bank on them as if God is your priceless and only treasure. And what will you find? You will find his his loving kindness and his compassion that never changes with time, that never changes with circumstances. The same compassion he had when Israel was under tyranny of the Egyptians is the same compassion that he has for us. Throw yourself at God and his word and you'll find that he is good. I love the animated movie Finding Nemo. It's a movie about a fish called Nemo. Nemo was captured by a dentist while he was, uh, while the dentist was driving in the coast of Sydney, Australia. And the dentist found this fish uh, by the river and decided to capture it and bring this fish called Nemo to his office and place it in a tank. Now Nemo thinks that after he has been captured that his father had forgotten about him and that he will never see his dad again. Then one day, while Nemo was swimming in this fish tank in the dentist's office somewhere in Sydney, there was a pelican that came and and spoke to Nemo by the window. The pelican's name was Nigel. And Nigel said very excitedly to Nemo, 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 your father's been fighting the entire ocean, looking for you. My father? Nemo asked. Oh yes, he's been battling the sharks and the jellyfish. It's my dad. My dad's looking for me. It was then Nigel said, Yes, your dad is battling even the jellyfish, the sharks, and swimming all the way to find you. And he was almost killed by a shock, three times. Nemo was dumbfounded. Three times my father almost died. Yes, he did. And he's done everything just to come to see you. He's now riding on this backs of sea of turtles in the Australian current. And he's heading all the way to Sydney to save you, to see you. It was then Nemo's jaw dropped. One moment he thought that his father had forgotten about. But now after hearing these words, that his father had battled all the dangers, swam all the miles in order to see him, Nemo's heart was touched. And Nemo simply said, That's my dad. He never forgets me. And I think that's what Daniel knew. Despite being in a foreign land, Despite being offered the choice food of the king. God still remembers him. God still cares and swims all the way to Babylon. To remind him, feast on me. And you will know that I'm the same God. With the same love, the same chasset. The same compassion looking for you. Daniel rejected the offer because he knew that God had something greater. Secondly, Daniel rejected the king's offer for lunch because he knew that God had the ability to save and nourish them. To save and nourish them. It was not just Daniel who felt, who, who felt uh, uh, that he had to... Uh, to reject this offer of the king for lunch, but it was also the official who was taking care of Daniel and his friends, and he got a little bit nervous when Daniel turned down the offer. So look with me here at verse 10. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young man? The king would, have, would then have my head because of you. The Babylonian official here, which we do not know his name, was afraid because he was afraid that he would die if Daniel rejected the food of the king and if the, if the king found out, what would the king do? The king would chop off his head. And this Babylonian official raised a very important point. Sure, Daniel, you can trust in your God. You can feast upon him and his goodness. That's fine with you. But will this God then you believe, save you, and nourish you when the king of Babylon finds them, Or will he abandon you and let your head be chopped off? But not Daniel. Daniel was confident that God not only could save him, but God will still nourish him despite not eating at the king's table. How do I know that? Verse 12, please, Daniel says, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat at the royal table and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. But Daniel was confident that God not only would save him, but, and God will still nourish him. What was Daniel's, where was Daniel's confidence? What gave Daniel that confidence? the confidence? The key words here are the words 10 days. It's not the first time that God's people have been in a strange land. Many years ago, Israel was also in a strange land called Egypt, and they were in trouble. And according to Exodus chapter 12, when did God save Israel? God saved Israel on the 10th day of the first month, that of the new year. That's why the Passover for the Jews always happens on the 10th day of the first month of the new year. Many years when Israel, many years ago, when Israel was a slave in Egypt, God not only showed his love and compassion, God, also, God saved them because he showed his love and his compassion. Just as Daniel and his friends, he were far away in, in Babylon and experienced God's hasad and compassion here in verse 10. And many years ago, God saved Israel after feeding them with a meal called the Passover, after which God led the entire nation to leave Egypt for good. And here in verse 12, God again feeds Daniel and his friends with a meal of vegetables and water. Daniel was confident that God would save him and the Babylonian official and all his friends because God had done that in the Exodus. His confidence was because God had done it before. Just as God saved Israel out of Egypt, on the 10th day of the new year. God will also save them at the 10th day after they have been fed vegetables and water. Just as God had shown compassion, his set and his compassion and his, uh, and his mercy on his people during the time when the people were in Israel, God will still do it today. Where was Daniel's confidence that God would save them? Because God had done it before. Daniel refused the meal from the Babylonian king because he had confidence in God's ability to save. And not only the ability to save, but to so nourish them that it would look better than the young man who had ate at the king's table. And Daniel's confidence was based on the very fact that God had done it before. What is our confidence that God will save us and nourish us in our times of trouble? We know something more than Daniel. What is it that we know that Daniel does not know? Just as God saved Israel at the Passover meal, and showed his ascent and compassion on the people, and, and, and brought them out of Egypt after he had fed them at the Passover meal. Likewise, Jesus Christ, on the night before he was betrayed, also broke bread, and shared with us that he will save us from this condemnation of sin and death. And he has the power not only to take us away from sin and death, but he has the able to keep us, to nourish us as his people. So what is our confidence? Our confidence is also in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. How does this apply to us? My friends, when we are lost and afraid, Bank your life, your entire life, on Jesus. He has the power to save us. And where does that confidence come from? It comes from what Jesus has done for us on the cross. At the cross, not only Jesus has the ability to save us, but he nourishes us. So let's come to him. If you're facing a difficult time, and and you feel that the weight of the world is upon you? Does Jesus have the ability to save us, to nourish us, even through this difficult time? Yes, we have. And where is our confidence? On the cross. Daniel faced a very difficult time in his life where he knew that the king of Babylon wants to change his destiny to show that it's not God who protects, but Baal, the king, the God of the Babylons that will protect. Daniel banged his life on what God did in the past through the exodus, through the past over. And Daniel will show us it's not Bel who protects, but it's the God of Israel. That protects, the God that never changes, the God that saved Israel out of Egypt, hand on the tenth day of the new year will be the same God that will lead him out of the difficult times the tenth day after he's been fed not with the king's food but with the government God wants. Dr. Daniel Chapel, Dr. Brian Chapel, in his book Standing Your Ground tells the story of a Christian minor who had been injured at a very young age and became an invalid. And as an invalid, he spent his time by his bed watching the window from his bed. This Christian minor saw his life pass by him. He saw the people around him and his friends prosper, raise family and had grandchildren. And as he watched his body withered, his house crumbled. So one day when the Christian minor was quite old, a young man came to visit him. And this young man asked, I hear that you believe in God and you claim that God loves you. How can you believe such nonsense after all of these things have happened to you? Don't you sometimes doubt God's love? And the old Christian minor hesitated and then he smiled and he said, Yes, it's true. Sometimes Satan comes calling upon me. He sits on my bed, the same place you are sitting right now. And he points out the window to the men who I used to work with, who are strong and successful. And Satan would ask me, does Jesus love you? Then Satan casts a very jeering glance at my tattered room and my roof that is about to fall down. And he pointed out through the window the beautiful homes that my friends theft that were just outside my window. And then he sneered and he asked me, and once again, does Jesus love you? That last, Satan points to a grandchild of a friend of mine. And he pointed to me and and brought this grandchild by my side. And then Satan asked, thus Jesus loved you. How can you say Jesus loves you when your health is falling apart? When you do not even own a home and your home is in tethers? How can you say Jesus loves you? How can you say that Jesus loves you? So the young man asks, what did you say to Satan? The old Christian miner simply said, I simply took Satan by the hand. I led him to a hill called Calvary. There I pointed to the thorned, tortured brow of my Savior. There I pointed to his nail-pierced hands. There I pointed to his spear-wounded side. Then I said to Satan, Satan, tell me, Thus Jesus loved me. Thus Jesus loved me. Yes, yes, yes. Look at Jesus and you know that he loves me. How do you know that God loves you enough that he will save you? That after 10 days he will save you? Look to the cross. Look to Calvary. Hasn't he died for you? Will he then not save you? Want to have lunch? Have lunched with Jesus. Eat at his table. Feast on him. And let him transform you. Father, we come this morning to pause and we thank you, Lord God, for your word that your word opens us again to the beauty of the cross. Father, many a times we are like Daniel, placed in difficult situations where the world tries to compromise with us not to feast upon your word and upon who you are. The world tries to spoil our appetites by indulging us on things that are perishable, that are non-nutritious, that ultimately will rob us of our health. But Father, we choose not to. We want to be like Daniel and his friends, to feast again at the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. To know that, Father, it's that you have the power to save us, that you have the power to deliver us, that even in the most difficult times when we wonder whether Jesus loves us and has the power to save us from our situations, we will look to your table where you have promised and where you have died for us. So, Father, feed us again with Jesus. Feed us again with his precious word. Feed us again with the treasure of the greatest price. That Father, we will search for him. That we will bank our lives upon him. That we will depend upon him as our only security. To know, Father, that he is enough. So Father, as we come before you, as we pour up again our lives to you. Father, take charge. Help us to love you again. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that what you promised is far better than what the world can ever give. So let us not forfeit the grace that is ours by eating at the table of idols and those two. Will ultimately rob us of eternal satisfaction in life and beyond. In his name we pray.